Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the Word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 20 this morning. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 27 down through verse 40. I'll read to you in a moment and we'll also work through the rest of the chapter. But Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 40 is where we're going to begin our time together this morning. So go ahead and find that in your copy of God's Word. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is really easy to find. It's the third book in the New Testament. So if you can find the New Testament, you can find Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay because in the seat before you in the book rack, you will find a copy of the Bible. We would love for you to pick that Bible up and find Luke's gospel with us. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you and read it. Learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 20 verses, or excuse me, Luke chapter 20 verses 27 through 40 is where we are this morning. If you're joining us online this morning, uh, thank you so much for joining us for worship. Wherever you might find yourself, we're glad that you are taking time this morning uh, to be with us. So thank you for joining us online this morning. Luke 20. 20, uh, 27 through 40 is where we are this morning. We're getting close to the end of Luke's gospel. In just a couple of weeks, we will be at the final uh, moments of the life of Jesus, the final day of the life of Jesus. So we're getting close. We're, we're almost there. So hang with us. It's been an incredible journey through Luke's gospel. And Jesus has some very important things to say to us before we get to the crucifixion event. So I need you to, to, to dial in this morning. Hey, so I don't know. Uh, I think I look around this room. A lot of us in this room are homeowners. Some of you will own a home Someday, I, I don't know what your house status is, but, but, but maybe for you, as you think about the spring coming in a few months, you're thinking about things that need to be done at your house, some home improvement things. We've already got a list of things that we want to accomplish that we've been saving up for. And maybe this year will be the year that we finally get some of those things done around the house. Who knows? But I, I read a story this week about a couple who were doing some home improvement projects. Um, they, they had a, a small project. It wasn't a large project. It was a project that cost about $4,000 to get done. I mean, I guess that's a lot of money, but, but it could be worse, right? So, so they hired this contractor to do this $4,000 job and, and they were gonna pay the contractor in cash. And so the, the husband went down to the bank and he withdrew $4,000 cash and brought it home and, and, and set it on the kitchen counter uh, to, to, to wait for that moment that he would hand that cash over the contractor and pay the contractor for the job that he had done. And, and so it hadn't been very long, about 30 minutes after sitting that $4,000 cash on on the kitchen counter, their 100-pound golden doodle jumped on top of the counter and ate the money. Can you imagine? 
So they walk into the kitchen, I mean, and, and they just, you know, they begin to lose their minds because their dog is eating their money. And so they look on the floor, and, and then money is shredded, and, and, but not all of it's shredded because some of that money is actually in the dog's gut, right? And so, like, what do you do? And so they call the bank. I mean, I don't know what they thought the bank would do, but they call the bank, asking the bank for some advice. Hey, here's what's happened. And the bank, bank was actually very gracious. The bank told them, hey, if, if you can get that money together and tape it back together, right? Like, and bring it back in. We'll actually give you crisp bills in exchange for those, you know, bills that you've taped back together. Like, okay. So they, they got to work. Can you imagine? So they're on the floor, like trying to put this puzzle back together and, and gathering pieces of that money back up. And, and then it happens about two o'clock in the morning, that dog, nature begins to take its course and that dog begins to make some deposits. <laughs> See what did it make some deposits. Like that's, I know, right? Just take a moment to let that one sink in. That was really funny. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all day. So, so, so the dog begins to make some deposits. So the dog begins to vomit out money and, and, and you know, all, all the other kinds of things the dog does as well. All that to say, money is coming out of the dog, your father, right? And so as money comes out of the dog, they begin to go and grab that vomited up money. Because after all, listen, it's $4,000. The bank said they would give them the money if they could tape it all back together. And so for three days, three days, three days, they're following this dog around. And every time this dog makes a deposit, they're going through that deposit and gathering up those, uh, those, those pieces that are covered in dog stuff and, and trying to piece that stuff back together. And they did it. Like they, they got it all and they took a big Ziploc bag full of deposited money to the bank. Imagine, can you imagine? You don't want to imagine. But they took that money to the bank and, and they, they actually did pretty well. By, by the time it was all said and done, uh, they actually collected from the dog, right, $3,700. They were only a few hundred dollars short. But man, can you imagine? Like easy come, easy go, however you want to think about that. But it was a bad situation, right? And, and just, just a reminder to you, just a reminder to me like your money can go pretty quick right <laughs> like like in in ways that you never anticipated I mean what you work so hard for I mean really seriously like easy come easy go right like it just doesn't take much for whatever you have to be taken away and and so so think about it I mean think about the life that you live and then I don't know how you are financially some of you are doing pretty well some of you could do better I get all that but there's going to come a day that that money you've got in the bank it's going to somebody else, your kids, a charity, the government, who knows? But it's not gonna be yours forever. When you think about the house you're living in right now and, 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 and all the work you do on your home to make it better, home improvement, keeping it clean or whatever you do, right? Like all you're doing at your house, and I don't know if you ever think about this or not, all you're doing is preparing it for somebody else because there's gonna come a day you ain't gonna live there anymore. I don't know when that day is gonna be, but somebody else is. So you're upkeeping your house for somebody else to take occupancy of it someday, right? Or think about it. Some of you in the past year or so, you, you, you went into thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt to buy a new car. And then whatever, you didn't listen to Dave Ramsey, I get it, right? But you bought that new car and, and it smelled good when you first got into it. You, you got that $700 a month car note and here you are five, six years later and you've got 200,000 miles of that car and it's falling apart, right? Like easy come, easy go. No wonder Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, said in Ecclesiastes chapter one, Vanity, vanity, 
all is vanity. You feel that way sometimes. There are many times in your life, many times in my life, where it feels like, man, it's just absolutely futile. Like we're, 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 we're running around the clock trying to get things done and, and it just seems like we're accomplishing nothing. It seems like sometimes there's no purpose, no meaning, no satisfaction. Vanity, vanity. No wonder, right, Solomon says that. But Solomon in that same book, Ecclesiastes, way back in the Old Testament, also said in chapter three, verse 11, that God has set, now watch this, you probably know this verse, God has set eternity in your heart. My friend, you are hardwired by God himself to want something more than what this life offers you. In fact, I mean, the majority of Americans, according to a a 2021 Pew Research poll, 73% of Americans stated they believe in an afterlife. They don't believe maybe in Jesus, but, but lots of people believe that there's something after this life. Why? Because God's put that in us. God has placed eternity in our hearts. Now, here we are in Luke's gospel, and I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. You're at a church like this, and, 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 and if you've been to a church like this very much over the course of your life, you know that churches like this talk about eternal life a lot. Why do churches like this talk about eternal life a lot? Because Jesus talks about eternal life a lot. And I don't know if you've noticed this over the past year as we've journeyed through Luke's gospel, but this theme, this idea of eternal life, it seems to come up over and over again. Now, as we approach the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, Jesus, one more time, one more time in Luke's gospel, Jesus is going to speak to us about eternal life. And you need to hear this message. I need to hear this message because there is a longing in our hearts to want to hear what Jesus has to say about this. And so as we walk through this text, I really just want to answer two questions. One, what do I, what do you, what do we need to believe about eternal life? And two, How should eternal life, the life that is to come for us, affect the way that we live in the present life? Take your Bible, Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 40. Go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the ring of God's word. Buckle your seatbelts. We got a lot of work to do. Here we go. Listen to what the Bible says. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came up and questioned Jesus. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. Also the second and the third took her in the same way. All seven died and left no children. Finally, the woman died too. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be for all seven who had married her? And Jesus told them, the children of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God, since they are children of the resurrection. Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised when he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Is not the God of the dead, uh, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living to him. Some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for time to be in your word. And, and just to think about the fact that you have placed in our hearts a longing for something more than this life. Because we know at the end of the day, this life is futile. And to think about our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, who has come. Who has come to fulfill that longing within us who has come to give us eternal, abundant life. 
Father, I pray this morning that you would help us today to know the power of your resurrection, to, to think well about what it means to have eternal life, to long to be with you. So Holy Spirit, we're asking right now that you would help us to hear very clearly what you're saying to us with hearts that are ready to receive and obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Now, if you've been with us in Luke's gospel, you know where we are in this story. This is Holy Week, the last week of the life of Jesus. It is Holy Tuesday. And on this Holy Tuesday, Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching. And you also know this, that the religious leaders, they want Jesus dead. Jesus is a threat to them. Uh, Jesus is, is proclaiming to be the son of God, the Messiah, and he is not the kind of Messiah that they want. And so if you remember last week, the, the spies, the Herodians and the Pharisees, they teamed up together to try to trap Jesus and, and ask him about uh, if they should pay taxes to Caesar or not in an, in an attempt to trap Jesus. Now you have another group attempting to trap Jesus. This group is the Sadducees. Now, just real quickly, I don't know if you know who the Sadducees were, were, uh, but they were different than the Pharisees. In fact, in those days, the Pharisees, whom Jesus has lots of hard words uh, that he directs towards them, but the Pharisees were actually pretty popular. They were kind of middle-class folk, religious leaders for sure, uh, but they resonated with the people. The Sadducees were very different. The Sadducees were aristocrats. They were wealthy. They were powerful. A lot of the priests in those days uh, were Sadducees. They came from the Sadducees, and the Sadducees had some different beliefs than the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, for example, believed that there was going to be a resurrection someday. That one day, way in the future, that God was going to resurrect from the dead all of those godly Jewish people who had kept the law of God, right? Well, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, in part because the Sadducees, when they thought about the Bible, they thought about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what we call the Torah. And for the Sadducees, the Torah was authoritative for them. Uh, they did not view the prophets and the writings, other parts of the Old Testament, as authoritative as the Torah. Now watch this. And so since the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, mentions nothing about a resurrection, they thought there was no resurrection. They thought there was no afterlife. And maybe you've heard a preacher like me tell you this before, that the Sadducees, oh, they were sad, you see, right? Because they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They believed that God was God who was at work, but only in the present age. It was a very depressing way to believe. But all that to say, they come to Jesus and, and they come to Jesus with really an absurd question. And here you are 2,000 years later and people are still asking absurd questions. That hasn't changed, has it? But look at what the text says. You come down and it says this. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resur resurrection came up and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. Now stop right there. You probably notice in your Bible uh, that phrase is, is bold or set aside because it's a quotation from the Old Testament. It's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. Some of you know this. Back in the Old Testament, there was this thing called leveret marriage. In other words, you probably know this, that if you were a woman in that day, it's just the way that it was. I'm not saying it was right or wrong. It's just the way that it was. If you were a woman, you did not work outside the home. If you were a woman, right, and your husband died, you could be left destitute. And so the way the Old Testament law made provision for a woman who was a widow is that it was the job 
of the brother of the husband, if he died, it was that brother's job to marry the widow. I know that sounds kind of weird. You don't want to do that. I get that. I don't suggest you do that. But that's the way it was in those days. And, and also, it was really important in those days to have an heir because wealth and inheritance, it was tied up in land. And so if, if you were a woman and you died without a son or your husband died and left you without a son, you follow me? Uh, then, 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 then there was no heir, right? And so that brother would marry you to produce an heir, so here's the story, right? And it's an absurd question. Okay, Jesus, uh, you're so smart and you're teaching all these things. Would you help us? I mean, you say there's a resurrection. We don't think there's a resurrection. So, so, so why don't you explain this one to us, Jesus? Let's say there's a guy, right? He's married and, and he dies and he's got this wife and she's left without a husband and she's left without a son. She needs a son. She needs a husband. So her, that, that guy's brother marries her. Well, he dies too. There's still no son. And then the next brother marries her and he dies too. And there's still no son. And it happens seven times, seven husbands, and there's no son. Jesus, come on. If there's a resurrection, that's gonna be an awkward family reunion at the pearly gates, isn't it? And so when we get to the pearly gates, right, the resurrection, come on, Jesus, like, whose wife is she going to be? Like, who's she going to belong to? Because, like, this is, this is a big deal, Jesus. And so they think they've set the trap. These Sadducees, we, we've outsmarted you. You think there's a resurrection, Jesus, but we know better. And then Jesus responds. Now, let me skip ahead, and then we'll come back. Go down to verse 37. Remember, I told you that the Sadducees, uh, they believed in the Torah as their authoritative scripture. And so Jesus actually takes them all the way back to the Torah, back to the book of Exodus, verse, uh, chapter three, verse six, when Moses is at the burning bush, and look what it says. Moses, verse 37, even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In other words, what Jesus is saying to the, the Sadducees is that when Moses was at the burning bush, God spoke to Moses about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now watch this, in the present tense, like they were alive. Why? Because there is an afterlife. That's the point that Jesus is making. And there is a resurrection. And someday Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be resurrected as well. And so he's going back to their Bible, the Old Testament Torah, our Bible as well, and showing them from the Torah, hey, there is a God of the living. But, but let's back up. So here's the question. Jesus, whose wife is she gonna be? And what Jesus does is masterful. Look at verse 34, you still awake? Jesus told them, the children of this age married and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy, verse 35, to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God. Now let's stop right there. So right in those couple of verses, Jesus is teaching us something that we need to know, that you need to know, that I need to know about eternal life. And so watch this. Let's, let's look at this first question. What do I need to believe about eternal life? What do I need to believe about eternal life? Well, one, eternal life with God is a gift not a guarantee. Now notice what the text says again. Are you still awake? Look at what it says, verse 35. But those who are counted worthy, underline that phrase, counted worthy. Who's counted worthy? Who's counted worthy to receive eternal life? Well, you know the answer to that question. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the Sadducees. 
It's not the scribes because they all did what? They rejected Jesus as Messiah. Who's worthy of eternal life? Well, when you read the gospel of Luke, it's those people who do what? Humble themselves before Jesus, acknowledge him as the God of all creation and repent of their sins. That's it. So if you've acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, if you've repented of your sins and turned to him in faith, then you are counted worthy of eternal life. In other words, God, our Father, has made us worthy through the death and resurrection of his Son. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, 23, you know this, for the wages, what you earn for your sin is death. But what church? The gift of God is what church? Eternal life. It's not a guarantee, right? Because you live a good life and you've done some good things that you get eternal life. No, 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 no. You're counted worthy as a gift because of faith and repentance in the one who lived and died and rose again for you. But notice, right? Eternal life with God is a gift, not a guarantee. And eternal life, now watch, this is so important. Eternal life is resurrected life. Now, notice the conversation. The conversation is over what? It's over resurrection, Jesus Christ said what? I am the resurrection and the life in the gospel of John. Or think about this, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22, Paul the apostle writes and he calls Jesus, now watch, watch, watch. He calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. Now when Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection, what Paul is intending for us to understand is that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead and ascend to the Father. But there's more to come. You will too. That's the point, right? Like he's first fruits, implying there's more to come, that there will come a day, now watch, that your body is put into a grave or you're cremated or whatever the case may be. But there will come a day when Christ returns that he will resurrect your body. Now, Paul reminds us of this as well in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. You follow me? Like when you die, if you die before Christ returns, immediately, right, you go to be with Jesus. That's what's going to happen. You understand? Like your, your soul will go be with Jesus, right? That's why Paul also says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you die today, before the return of Christ, you are going to be with Jesus. That's good news, right? And what we call that is we call that, now watch this, I need to make sure you understand this. What we call that is the intermediate state. What I mean by that is, is that when you die and you go to be with Jesus, that's not the end of your story. You're waiting for something else. You're waiting for the day that the trumpet does sound and Christ returns and he resurrects your body. You see, what you and I are looking forward to, now watch this, is a resurrected life, body and soul together forever. A body and soul that's not affected by sin, that's not affected by brokenness, that's not affected by the fallenness of the world. A body and soul that's in, like God intended it to be, like what it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve fell into sin. That's what God has for every single one of us who are counted worthy of salvation because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what you await. Now watch this, and I need to make sure you understand this because I promise you, you heard a preacher or somebody tell you this and they were just wrong. You know what you're not going to be someday? It's gonna burst your bubble, I know it, but just bear with me. You're not gonna be an angel. Like it's not gonna happen. I know you went to that funeral for that friend and the preacher said he just got his wings or she just got his wings, but can I tell you something? You ain't getting no wings. Like I know you want them, like I do too. That'd be really cool, we'd zoom around, I get that. But it ain't happening. 
right? I mean, this is what Jesus says. Look at what he says here. You come down in the text, it says, um, and, and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry or give them marriage for they can no longer die because they are like angels. Jesus does not say you will be an angel or you are an angel because you're not, right? Now, I, I know this is gonna shock some of you, but do you know what you are? You're a human, that amazing? Like that's what you are. That's what God created you as. He created you as a human and you will forever be human in a real body, just like Jesus has a resurrected body. You will too. Like that's your hope. A body that, that, that will one day be untainted by the fallenness and, and sin of this world. That's good news. So you think about it. Eternal life is a gift, not guarantee. It's a resurrected life. Go to the next slide. We gotta go faster. That's really fast. Next, there we go. Um, in eternity, your relationships will be better but different. Now, here's what Jesus says, because the question is over what, church? Come on. The question is over whose wife will she be? Well, none of you get her as a wife, because in the resurrection, there's not going to be marriage. Now, you probably have different responses to Jesus when he says that because some of us have really, 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 really good marriages. And we think about the thought of eternity and not being married to our wife or our husband, like that's a bummer, right? Some of you ain't got so good marriages. Let's just be honest. You're like, okay, I finally get out of this thing, right? Like, but, but just understand what Jesus is saying. Now follow me carefully. That in eternity, in resurrected life, what Jesus says is that there is no marriage. The question is, why not? Like marriage is good. Like God created it. God said it was good. Why is there no marriage in eternity? Well, just because it's not needed. You follow me? Now follow me, follow me. Come on, come on, listen to me. Listen to me, follow me, right? You think about the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve became one flesh. They were a help to each other. You come along later and, and when Paul writes in places like Ephesians and Peter writes in places like 1 Peter chapter three, they give us a picture of what God intends in marriage. That, that your marriage, if you're married, my marriage, it is a divine illustration of a heavenly reality. What I mean by that real simply is that God uses our marriage as an illustration of Christ's relationship with his church, you follow? And so one day when we're in eternity with him, we're gonna be married to our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Like what marriage pictures, what marriage symbolizes, what marriage points to is gonna become our reality, you follow? So this symbol that, that marriage illustrates, right? It's just no longer necessary because we're gonna live in the reality of what marriage symbolizes. Do you follow me? You also think about another purpose of marriage. In Genesis chapter one, right? God told man to what? Multiply, be fruitful. Well, we're not gonna need to multiply and be fruitful in the resurrected life. And so, so listen now, watch this. So in eternity, there is not a need for marriage like there is in this life. But that does not mean, and I get it, scripture doesn't give us all the instruction about this. It doesn't tell us all about it. We don't have all the details. Are you with me? I, I don't know how it all is going to work. But that does not mean that when you get into eternity in your resurrected life, that you're not gonna know your spouse. I would go so far as to say that while you won't be married to your spouse in eternity, your relationship with your spouse will be better. Why would I say that? Because it's resurrected life. Like everything in resurrected life is better, right? Because nothing in resurrected life is tainted by sin. 
And so while you might not be married in resurrected life, right? And, and not all religions believe this, obviously. Mormonisms and, 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 and Islam, for example, believe something completely different. But what scripture teaches us is that in the resurrected life, there'll be no marriage, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be different, but it's gonna be better because nothing is tainted by sin. Your love for your spouse is going to be even greater in eternity. You might not be married to your spouse, but the love's gonna be greater. You're gonna know people, you're gonna love people, but in a greater way than you do even now because sin will not have any effect on those relationships. And so while we don't know what it looks like, we do have this assurance that whatever awaits us in resurrected life, oh my friend, it's going to be better. And, and in eternity, now watch, life will no longer be a tragedy because I don't know if you know this or not, but every one of our lives, everyone, everyone, every one of our lives will end in tragedy because you will all die. You follow? That's tragic. You will all be laid into a grave and people will mourn your death. That is tragic. But the promise of Revelation 21, 4 is that tragedy is gonna be no more in the resurrected life because God is going to wipe away every tear. There will be no more sorrow, no more grief, no more hurt, no more disease. It's all going away. There will never be tragedy again. Isn't that good? And so yet again, before Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in our place, once again, Jesus is giving us a picture of what is to come for followers of Jesus. Like this is what awaits you. Make sure you understand this. What awaits you as a follower of Jesus, if you placed your faith in him, is resurrected life. Now we gotta do some work because we gotta end this thing up. What Jesus is going to do next is he's going to quote uh, Psalm 110.1. I'm not gonna read it. We're just gonna go very fast. 110.1, he's gonna quote to the scribes who think that, 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 that the Messiah is gonna be a son of David. Well, Jesus is the son of David, but he's greater than David. And so I think what's going on in the remainder of the chapter is Jesus is saying, I'm greater than David, so listen to me. Don't listen to the scribes, that's the end of the chapter. Uh, don't follow their example, listen to me. I have important things to say to you, things that you need to believe. And the matter of eternal life, resurrected life, now watch, is something that you need to believe. Let me tell you why. So you know this, that, 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 my family, because of Stacy's parents who live in New Orleans, when it comes vacation time, that's where we go. We go a couple times a year at least to New Orleans to be with them. We were just there over Christmas break. And you know this, because I've told you this before. It's not vacation, like it's visitation. And there's a huge difference between vacation and visitation, right? Vacation is enjoyable. Visitation is visitation. You understand? And so, so, so we just haven't over the years, in 15 years of marriage, uh, we have not been on a lot of vacations. We've been with my, with my parents to the beach a couple of times. The only time we've been on vacation as a family, just the four of us, my wife and my two boys, was back in 2020. We spent a week in the Smoky Mountains. That was the only time we've been on a family vacation by ourselves. That's pretty depressing, but that's what it is, right? And so, so back in December, I booked us a house, a house back in the Smoky Mountains, for the week after my boys get out of school, we're going on a family vacation. Seven nights, like break the bank, I'm spending all my money, we're out of here. You follow? 
like a vacation. I've got a picture. You've been there to the Smoky Mountains. It's, it's gorgeous. I can't wait to wake up and look out the window, drink my coffee and, and, and you know, go trout fishing or uh, go tubing down the river or go hiking the trails and looking for waterfalls. Like I can't wait. Now, I tell you that because here's what you do. Some of you have vacations planned for 2024. Some of you, you're going to Disney World for the 14th million time. Don't understand, but go whatever, right? Go see your mouse. Some of you are going to the beach. Like you, you, some of you, in this, you've got your vacation planned out, right? Now, now, now watch this. When you've got a good vacation, whether it's a cruise, whether it's that stinking mouse, whatever the case may be, when you've got a good vacation planned out, what do you do? Now watch this. You think about it a lot, Right? Like, you know, when you've got a bad day at work, just a couple months, I'm gonna be on the beach. Just a couple months, I'm gonna be in the mountains. Just a couple months, I'm gonna be hugging that mouse, whatever it might be, right? (laughs) But that's what happens. Like when you've got a good vacation plan, you think about it a lot. And then you go on vacation. And it seems like right now, like May seems like years away, doesn't it? But then we're gonna go on vacation. And that seven nights on vacation, it's gonna go by like in 30 seconds right? And then we're coming back here. We're going to come back here and life's going to be hard again, right? And then I got to save my money again. So maybe another 10 years, I can go on another one. You see what I'm saying? Like, but that's the way it works. Right now, I'm anticipating that vacation. I think about it a lot. When, when, when life is hard, I've had a bad day, I think about just a couple months. I'm gonna be there in the mountains and life is gonna be good. I think about it a lot and thinking about it a lot. Now watch this, helps me to endure the present day. Now I tell you that to tell you this, when it comes to eternity, you don't think about it far enough. Come on. You don't think about resurrected life far enough. In fact, you heard someone tell you sometime, and I don't know when it was or who it was, but someone told you, now be careful because you don't want to be, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's about the dumbest thing anybody has ever said. Come on, because now watch, you can't be too heavenly minded. In fact, now, come on, come on, come on. If you were more heavenly minded, you would do far more earthly good. You follow? You would be a far greater blessing to others if you were more heavenly minded. You would make far wiser decisions if you were more heavenly minded. Uh, You would do far more good on this earth for the kingdom of God if you were more heavenly minded. The problem with us is we're not near heavenly minded enough. Paul was... You think about Philippians. He's in prison, my friend. And in prison, he says, man, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In prison, he says, man, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In prison, he says, I've learned how to be content. Why could Paul say those things? Because he was so heavenly minded, he was doing some earthly good. You follow me? But you're not. I'm not. We are very earthly minded. No wonder. Now, come on, I gotta go faster than I'm going, but listen to me. No wonder We get so discouraged, so depressed, so anxious. No wonder we worry so much. No wonder so many of us are in a bad mood all the time because we're so earthly minded because here's what we do. Now, come on now, just be honest with me. We go to work and we don't think much about Jesus at work, right? We think about making the money so we can go home and pay for the house that we can't afford and the car we can't afford. And we get home and our, our, our dinner's not on the table, so we get mad at our spouse and the kids are doing this. And so we fuss at them. And by the time we finally get some peace and quiet, we don't think about heaven then. Instead, we turn on Netflix 
And we binge for three or four hours watching who knows what this godless stuff that, that shows gratuitous sexuality and a bad worldview and all this other garbage and garbage in, garbage out. And that's what you let affect you every single day. You see, your problem, my problem too often is we're far too earthly minded. No wonder, no wonder, no wonder. Paul says in Romans 12, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. I'm just telling you, you don't think about Jesus near enough. I'm just telling you, you're not near heavenly minded enough because if you and I were more heavenly minded, we would do so much more earthly good. So how, like the question is how? How do we live in the present, knowing what we do about eternal life. How do we live in the present knowing what we do about eternal life? And we're gonna go fast here and we'll be done, right? One, I need to be far more hopeful and far less pessimistic. Now, come on, come on. Here's what's happened to you. Here's what's happened to me. Here's what happens to us if we're not careful. You get so earthly minded, right? You consume so much of this world's stuff that it makes you a pessimist. And come on now, I'm just gonna be honest with you and I love you and I tell you this because I love you. Some of you are no fun to be around, right? Because you're, you're, you have no joy whatsoever because you've let this world affect the way you think so much that you're the constant killjoy. But the reality is what, church? Man, come on. If you know Christ, if you are in him, if you believe that you have resurrected life and the best for you really is to come, my friend, you have all kinds of hope and you have all kinds of joy. And the reality is you don't talk about your joy in Christ far enough because you don't think about your joy in Christ far enough. You follow? You talk about everything that makes you mad and everything you're ticked off about and everybody who ticks you off, right? But you talk far too little about what Jesus has done for you and what awaits you in resurrected life. You see what I'm saying? That when you begin to let Christ transform your mind and the way you think about eternity, it really does affect your present because now all of a sudden, you're someone who has a lot of hope. And, and when I think about my belief in eternal life and how it affects my present life, I need to see my relationships as opportunities for, to prepare for eternity instead of opportunities for self gratification. Now, come on. In a fallen, broken world where your mind is set on things of this earth instead of on the things of eternity, you have the wrong view of relationships, right? For those of us who are married, you wouldn't say this because you're a nice person. But for those of us who are married, you probably think this, what can my spouse do for me, right? What can my kids do for me? What can my, because that's how we view relationships in a fallen world. What can so-and-so do for me? How can that person add value to my life? How can they meet my needs? And then what happens, right, if you take that to its sinful conclusion, in order to get out of people what you want from them, you become a master what? Manipulator. And if you're not really careful, a pretty good abuser too. You follow me? Because you're self-centered. What can I get out of my relationships? That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not a heavenly minded way. Because in my marriage, right, if I have a heavenly mindset, I realize that this relationship I'm in with my wife is simply preparing me for eternity. 
Like I'm learning to love my wife well so that we together might be sanctified, prepared to step into eternal life with Christ. I'm discipling my kids so I can prepare them for each. So it's not about what can this relationship give me? What can my wife give me or my kids give me or whomever? But how can I give to them? How can I bless? How can I help them grow in their walk with Jesus? And come on now, come on, come on. Let's be honest. Some of you are so self-centered in your relationships that you've grown to be master manipulators. You see what I'm saying? That's sinful. And that's because your mind has been corrupted by the things of this earth. And God is just calling you this morning, I think, to open your eyes and to see there's something better, far better, resurrected life. Set your mind on that. Be so heavenly minded that you'll do some earthly good. Or think about this, right? Go on the next slide. I need to let go of a lot of stuff this world offers and embrace a richer life. Because here's the reality. Come on now. I bet you every one of us in this room, we've got something in our brain. Now, maybe you wouldn't say this out loud again, but maybe deep in your heart, in your brain, you've got something in your mind that you think, if this would happen, my life would be richer. You follow? If I had a certain amount of money in the bank account, if this debt would get paid off, if my health would be restored, if my kids would do this, my wife would do that, my husband would do this, if I would get that boat or get that new car, if this happened, then my life would be richer. That is an earthly way of thinking, isn't it? Do you know what makes your life richer? Jesus. That's it. The new car is not gonna do it, Right? Paying off your debt, as great as that is, it ain't gonna do it, right? What makes your life richer is Jesus. That's what Paul's able to say. Man, I've learned the secret of contentment in Philippians chapter four, and it's Jesus. You don't need more stuff. In fact, what a lot of us need to do is let go of some stuff and learn how to live a rich life. A rich life is what, church? Man, it's when you are learning how to share the gospel faithfully and helping people to understand that hope is found in Christ. A rich life is when you're involved in a community of believers in a discipleship group where you're growing in Christ's likeness and you're being encouraged or when you're making disciples. A rich life, right, is at night when you're with your family around the dinner table and the TV's off and you're not binging on godless stuff from Netflix and you're just talking about what it, what it looks like to live a Christ-centered life as a family. When you're praying with your spouse or praying with your kids, you're serving on mission together, that's a rich life. A rich life, right, is when you don't stay up till midnight doing God knows what, but you get up early in the morning and you spend time in the word of God and you pray and you thank God for the gift of life. That's a rich life. And so many of us in this room, we're missing out on what a rich life really is because we're pursuing what the world tells us is a rich life. And what the world tells us is a rich life is actually a life of spiritual poverty. And you feel it. Deep down inside of you this morning, some of us feel that poverty. We know something's missing. And what's missing for you this morning is the reality of resurrected life. Knowing that 2,000 years ago, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus came to give you resurrected life. That he lived the life that you could not live perfect in every way and then went to a cross and took your sin upon himself and sacrificed his own life so you might find life. He took the punishment that you deserve because he loves you. 
And he rose from the dead three days later, the first fruits of the resurrection. So you can know that he is God who came to rescue. And so you can have the assurance that there will come a day that he returns for you and gives you forever the gift of resurrected life. You see what I'm saying? I get it. Like we've been looking at Luke's gospel for a long time now. And these same things keep coming up over and over again. Kingdom of God, eternal life, judgment. These themes keep coming up over. And, you're, and you might be sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, I mean, how many times are we gonna talk about this until you get it, right? Until I get it, until we get it. Jesus wants you to get it this morning. He wants you to see that, man, it's something, It's rich to be so heavenly minded that you're doing some earthly good. And maybe this morning as we close our time together for you, today is your day to respond to the gift of Jesus. To repent, to repent of your sins and give your life to him by faith. In the corner of this room, there are two crosses. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is the day. There'll be someone at one of those crosses who's ready to receive you and pray with you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus to help you today find a rich life in Christ. Go to one of those crosses and let that person pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus today. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number. We're gonna reach out to you today and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Today is the day that you need to find salvation in Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins and turning to him by faith. You come as you have a time of invitation. Maybe you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus. There's an invitation for you as well, follower of Jesus. Today is the day for you to come before God and say, God, forgive me because I am way too earthly minded. Would you help me, God? Would you help me to reprogram by your spirit the way that I think? Would you be, help me to become so heavenly minded that I'm doing some earthly good for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ? I don't know how God is leading you to respond this morning, but I know that he is. You respond by faith in these moments. Father, thank you so much for time in your word. Thank you that you love us and care for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the gift of life, abundant and eternal, resurrected life. And Father, if there's someone in this room this morning who's never experienced the power of the resurrection, who's never turned from his sins or her sins and placed his or her faith in you, I pray that person would come trusting you as Lord this morning. I pray that all across this room, there'll be people who find life in Jesus. And Father, for those of us who are followers of yours, we confess we're very good at being earthly minded and sometimes not so good at being heavenly minded. And what we need, we need you to transform the way we think. We need to think more about the kingdom and how it impacts every area of our lives because there's richness in your kingdom, not in the kingdom of this world. And so Holy Spirit, we're asking uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that you would lead us to repentance this morning, that you would lead us to respond to your truth this morning. So Father, thank you that you've spoken to us. Now we respond to you in obedience and we we respond in the name of Jesus, amen. Go ahead and rise your feet as a time invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.